This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back. It's a Thursday Buckeye Talk. It's Cleveland.com. It's Doug Maurice. It's Nathan Baird. It's Stephen Means. And it's Receiver Talk. That means Brian Hartline, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Emeka Egbuka, Julian Fleming, Marvin Harrison Jr., Jaden Ballard, and I guess a little special teams talk. They did bring out Parker Fleming, who we did find out is related to both Parker Lewis and Julian Fleming. He's not. He's a special teams coach. We can talk special. T- we can talk. We can talk special teams. We're not. Are we gonna talk special teams? Do we? We got, uh, one, do we, we got one person from the special teams. We didn't get the kicker snapper. or the punter. We got the long snapper. Jaden Ballard is a gunner. We talked to him. Uh, I didn't talk any to any of the kickers. Fleming. Three scholarship kickers on this team. We got none of them. That's true. That's um, the real question. Is uh, maybe we should have like, had a, a running bet going up. If, if one, would we get Jake Cyber? And two, would we get him on Tuesday or Wednesday? <laughs> yeah. Oh, we got Jake. We got Jake twice. He came out with the cornerbacks and the kickers. All right. So the special team stock, I think, blissfully will be limited, but we do want to talk receiver. And let's just dive right in with a, a, a little prediction post that was based off last Monday's. I, what I thought very interesting market down Monday, where we marked down some very specific statistical predictions for the Ohio State Buckeyes. And one of them, Nathan, was the receiving yards for Jackson Smith and Jigba. And we were discussing, like, is 2,000 yards for a receiver a magic number or not? It's round. I don't know that it's magic, but the subject was broached with the subject. And when Buckeye talk goes out into the real world, hey, there's three yahoos talking about something on this podcast. What do you think about it? person who is trying to do the thing they're talking about boy it makes me feel like that my existence is not meaningless anymore so nathan jackson smith and jigba talked about two thousand yards did it send tingles up your spine well i was the one asking the questions so were you tingling um, really are you tingling are you tingling while you're asking no, no. i will no and Buck definitely not now not not now uh 15 hours later i'm, I'm less tingling but yeah, I just asked him, like, hey, you know, there's one guy who's ever had 2,000 yards as far as, like, FBS football. Um, can you be the second one? Have you thought about that? You know, and he and surprisingly, it was interesting because he had just he literally just got done with a long answer about, you know, all I care about is going 15-0 and winning a national championship. And I, I literally had to start the question, like, well, I'm going to ask you something very specifically, very individual. And uh, but but he said, I mean, to his credit, like he could have lied. He could have done uh, player speak or however you want to say it and, and given us some cliches. He said, I'd be lying if I said I don't think about it or something along those lines. And I thought that was refreshing that it's not that he is motivated necessarily by achieving this thing above all else. I think I read it more as just a recognition of. I know who my quarterback is. I know who the guy calling the plays is. And I know what I've done as far as like making myself one of the best receivers in the country. And I know how many games I hope we play. 
I think he can do the math. I think he sees it as being a realistically attainable thing. So we've had this discussion at least twice on this podcast, right? We did it when I was in a Browns parking lot, like in the spring, and then we did it again on the statistical podcast. So I think people listening to this have an understanding of our view on it. The 15 game season is about 133 yards per game, which when you think about it like that does not sound crazy. Steven, what do we think about the idea of, of it, of a player admitting that it has crossed his mind? Like, is there any downside to that? Is there just spectacular, wondrous, excellent upside, awesome set high standards for yourself and shoot for him. What do we think of it? I love it. I'm tired of this humble receiver room. They're, they're too professional and how they are. They're, they're none of them are divas. None of them are cocky. None of them give us the spicy quote that you get from receivers. They're not a stereotypical receiver room and which is probably a good thing in, in the long run that they're all like that. But that's also a result of having a positions coach who played the position and knows how to teach you how to work like a pro, but yeah, I'm for it. Be cocky, Jackson. You're probably the best wide receiver in the country. It's okay for you to have moments where you think you're going to do something historical. Now, granted the way he did it, it got brought up to him. It's not like he went out of his way and said, you know what? I think I'm going to go for 2000 yards this year, but it's okay for you to answer questions with confidence. I misspoke the other day and I said that the only receiver to top 2000 yards was Francis Johansson. And that's wrong. It is Trevor Inslee from Nevada who did it. I don't even know, Nathan. It wasn't in 15 games. So, I mean, that like his that's the again, college football, but it happens in the NFL, too. We've gone to a 17 game season. And unlike Major League Baseball, you cannot be so beholden to your history that you don't change anything about your present because it's like the records will be different like, listen, they want to make more money. There's more college football games than there used to be. Um, I love the idea of it. I love tracking it, Nathan. I don't know if we should do a Jackson Smith and Jigba 2,000-yard receiver tracker every week that when we say he needs to average 133 yards per game for 15 games, that doesn't mean we think he's going to get 133 yards every game. We could set every week, all right, this is a number it feels like he probably needs to get against this opponent in this situation, given what we think the game plan is, given how long we think he'll stay in the game, maybe if it's going to be a blowout. Here's your Jackson Smith and Jigba target number. And then we could do the next week and be like, was he above or below the target number? Like, I I think this is worthwhile. And listen, if we get if he gets to week eight and he's at 640 yards, then we, then we probably probably kill the tracker, right? I I don't think anybody thinks that's going to happen, but I think this is a worthwhile pursuit. Trevor Inslee is 2060. So then like the record is also not much more Mm -hmm. than the round number, but I think this is a really fun thing that as we start the year, it feels like he gave us permission, Nathan. And that's what we're looking for. A lot of time here on Buckeye talk. Again, we talk about stuff here that we go out in the world and say, are we crazy? Or is it okay if we talk about this? The fact that he gave us permission makes me want to have nine stories a week about it on our website, but maybe at least one. By the way, Trevor Inslee uh, averaged that year, 11 games, 11 11 games to get 2,060 yards, 12 catches for 187 yards. This is according to college sports reference. Sometimes they, but usually they only leave off a game if a guy didn't play or didn't do anything in that game. So I think yeah. 11 games is probably legit. It was 1999 for uh, Nevada. So I played 11 um, games back then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, it must have been. We're apparently we're not good enough to, to get that 12th game when there were fewer bowls. Mercifully, there were only like 400 bowls back then. Not not 
560 yeah. is it right now. Um, no, I said I, I yesterday when we shot a video, I, I, I coined the hashtag JSN2K. I think we need to incorporate that. I meant to actually, and I then I left it off of my link when I was tweeting it out this morning. But okay. I think I think we Buckeye Talk should be known as starting the JSN2K movement. Um, now, all of this is uh, much of this, I should say, the the thought that he could do it is predicated on the 15 game thing, right? Because that's 133 yards a game. That seems yeah. to do it in because he ain't playing only 13 games probably. If Ohio State goes 10 and two again, oh, he's yeah, not yeah. playing the rules. Oh yeah. So, I think 14 games, it's still possible. 13 games, it's not. Right. And in 12, it's, I think, impossible. That'd be 167 yards a week. Yeah. So it just leaves you no room for error. But if, if Ohio State's offense has, I mean, maybe that's a more interesting question. That should almost have been its own pod or its own market down. Like, what's more likely? Like, who are you, what are you betting on? C.J. Stroud, 5,000, or Jackson Smith and Jigba, 2,000? Oh, they're, yeah. They're connected. They are connected. But, but and one can't. Well, I could say one eh, can't happen. Without one the can other, definitely happen without the other. The five thousand can happen without the two thousand more likely yeah. than the other, the opposite. But CJ could throw for forty nine fifty, and Jackson gets the two thousand. Yes. Yeah, sure. I'm trying to figure out. Doesn't Trevor Insley sound like a New Zealand name? I'm trying. Uh, there was a show on HBO like twenty years ago about these guys from New Zealand. I'll work out. We maybe could have a guest appearance from New Zealand's own Trevor Inslee as he comments on Jackson Smith and Jigba's pursuit. Jackson Smith and Jigba. I'm very excited for his. Now I've got to work on that's it. it. Yeah, that that's it? pretty that's, terrible. That's, that's like Irish, use, Irish or something. Well, it's not because it's not. It's different than Australian. It's a little more um, you hard. Know, shrimp. It's like more. It's a little more compressed than Australian. I think you start with Australian and then you compress it like an audio file. You compress it. So I'm ba- I'm just doing Flight of the Concords. So I'll try. Yeah. I'll work on it. I'll go watch Flight of the Concords and I'll try to work on my New Zealand accent for Trevor Inslee, who I'm sure is from Arizona. I have no idea what that movie is. No, I don't. It's I a, it was a show on HBO. We used to. I had a group okay. of guys that got together and watched football every Sunday, and throughout the day there would be these like recurring things that you would just like you would just like riff on. And whenever Kenny Britt did something, because we were usually watching Red Zone Channel, just bouncing around all the games. Whenever Kenny Britt would do something, somebody would go, Britt, present? Yes. Jackson Smith and Jigba. Do you think he can get to 2,000 yards, Jermaine? That's Irish. That's Irish. That's Irish. I I slipped into Irish. That's because Nebraska's playing in Ireland. Okay. Well, you know, we'll work on the impression and we'll do the tracker. (laughs) That's what we do here on this this day a week football podcast. Jackson. Jack, this because there's hold all my in, calls. Hold on my calls. I gotta go get this accent down. People in New Zealand do have different personalities, so some of them are more more excitable in how they would talk about Jackson Smith and Jigba. Okay, I do want to say Jackson Smith and Jigba in a proper New Zealand accent at some point this season. All right, so so Jackson. Any other vibes from Jackson Smith and Jigba, who again is a spectacularly talented college football player, but. You know, other than saying he's thought about 2000 yards is is not a diva, Stephen, as you said. I mean, he's just a he's just a guy out there doing his job. Anything else about JSM we need to tell the good folks? Not really. I I mean, good good guy. Good guy. You can only ask a guy. How do you know how good you are so many times? Yeah, I I do. I do. That is you get to a version of that, like with 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 like the humble superstars. Yeah, you get to like. 
do you know how good you are is it's kind of the theme of like the last 80 percent of the stories once it's you've reached a certain point all right so let's go to mhj because we also have an mhj marvin harrison jr threshold came out in a kobe bryant shirt like not his unveiling right we've talked to him before but we haven't talked to him when he's about to be the starting other receiver for ohio state against notre dame in nine days like steven this was again it wasn't the first time we saw Marvin Harrison Jr., but it was the beginning of the Marvin Harrison Jr. era, kind of. Yes? It's a little different now because you're not talking about what he might – like a future that's maybe a year away. You're talking about something that's 10 days away. He's just as humble and just as annoying sometimes. Doug, you flat out asked him about the touchdown record, and he just wouldn't go there. Wouldn't go I, there. I I brought up Jamar and, and JS into him and he basically gave the I'm really confident in myself. I'm not going to go out there with the record breaking stuff, but I do think I can help this team. It's like, no, Marvin, you're going to do more than help this team. Be cocky. I think the best thing that we got from Marvin Harrison was when we were asking Brian Hartline. Well, mainly me, a bunch of questions about Marvin Harrison and Brian Hartline just would not go there. In fact, he's the first question I asked. He more was just like, yeah. He's not that athletic. He's not that much of a freak. He's not that good. He went out of his way as much as he could to downplay any conversations about Marvin Harrison. And because I went to the Doug Lamarie's school of this is how you listen to coach speak. I know that somebody is really, really good. If a coach is trying his hardest to downplay everything about you. Steven was so excited after Brian Hartline attempted to down talk Marvin Harrison Jr. that he literally started sprinting through the Woody Hayes Athletic Center on the practice field like he was driving a bus like his bus was it was the speed bus. It was out of control. It would not go less than 55 miles per hour because so Hartline, it's interesting you don't want to lump together everybody who sort of has NFL in their family, but Hartline went there with like, this guy showed up knowing how to work. This guy got down to business as soon as he got here. And there's a, I, and it's not everybody. I do think I, I'm sure people listening to this saw they had Teron Vincent mic'd up at practice last week. And Teron Vincent mm-hmm. was, was being funny. And his dad, Troy Vincent played in the NFL for a very long time, very successful NFL career. And he was sort of joking about Marvin. He was saying things about, oh, your dad would have caught that, right? Yeah. Which at, at some point, I'm, I mean, I'm sure Marvin Harrison Jr. has only sort of heard that kind of stuff his whole life. So I'm sure he's actually kind of sick of that. But I thought to myself, well, the guy on this team who can do that is the guy whose dad is also a famous NFL player. And it almost made me think about a combined Teron Vincent, Marvin Harrison Jr. story. But the thing it also brought up in my head was Michael Thomas when he was here as the nephew of Keyshawn Johnson. And Michael Thomas was a get down to work. I'm here. I'm, I have a job already. Like all these college football players have jobs. They wake up at 5 a.m. to lift weights and they stay up until midnight to do their homework. And they're, they're very, very busy. There's time to play video games and eat chicken fingers in there too, but they're very, very busy. And Michael Thomas had a seriousness of purpose that was as serious and purposeful as anybody if I've been around. And just now Marvin is a very nice young man. He doesn't, he's, He's not serious when he talks, but like Brian Hartline, the way he was talking about him of like, he knows how to work. Nathan, that's where my head went a little bit with Michael Thomas. And again, it's, it makes Michael Thomas, by the time he got to the end of this, he was like, get out of my way. He, he had a little diva in him, but in a way that I loved like, and he had zero diva in terms of, he only had 791 receiving yards his last year and he should have had 1500. 
and he went in the second round of the NFL draft because Corey Coleman at Baylor had 1500 receiving yards. And people were like, he must be better than Michael Thomas. And it was like, do you under, do have you watched football? Do you understand that they throw the ball to Michael Thomas three times a game? So he had zero diva there, but he knew how good he was, Nathan, by the end. But at the beginning, and listen, he had a blip. He had a weird blip in his career where he had that red shirt in the middle of his career. He knew what his goal was, Nathan, because he knew what it took because he had seen it up close and personal. And that idea, I don't want that to be the only story of Marvin Harrison Jr. because he's his own person, but Brian Hartline brought it up. That's real. I think it's real when a guy, since you're six, knows what it's going to take. And he's not running, running from it. Marvin Harrison Jr., according to Brian Hartline, got here and dove in and said, yep, let's do this. You said something recently on the pod. I don't remember what we were even talking about, about how the margins matter. And there's a point at which these guys are so talented that that's where the margin is. Like, how much are you going to work? How much are you going to go in? Like Marvin Harrison Jr. versus whoever's going to try to defend him from Notre Dame or Michigan or Alabama. Like, who's working harder? Because that other guy was probably also a top 100 prospect who has some pretty good genetics working in his favor. And maybe his dad's on the Hall of Fame, but you know what I'm saying? Like, these guys are all coming from a very unique and specialized sort of genetic neighborhood. So, um, you know, I... It, it, we've seen it at all levels, and I, I, I know people don't like it when I bring up Purdue examples, but if people remember a guy named Ryan Kerrigan who actually just retired in the NFL for the game that he came in and just, like, wrecked Ohio State, and I can't remember if it was after that game or if I heard this story or if it was just, like, a, a general Ryan Kerrigan thing, but, like, he would go in and just have those kinds of games, and then he was the first guy in the weight room the next morning just, like, crushing insane amounts of weight, and that's how you do it. Like, you, it's how you get that in the first place, and it's how you maintain it. And what you're starting to see with Brian Hartline uh, talking about some of these guys and how they sort of talk about themselves is um, greatness isn't necessarily good enough because there's probably something else you can achieve. But even if you are great, you can't rest on your laurels. You've got to be still busting it because the the level that they're trying to achieve, again, has like no margin for error. And it's it's hard to maintain greatness. It, that doesn't happen by accident either. Getting it doesn't happen by accident, but also sustaining it doesn't happen by accident. I'm going to throw McCord in that category as well. I know that that didn't play in the NFL, but there is something to these kids who come from these athletic backgrounds who have gotten a chance up close and personal to see what it looks like to be at that level and to think at that level and to work at that level. And I, cause I asked McCord about like when he first met Marvin Harrison and Marvin's always been like that, this business, like I'm going to work, I'm going to work. They got here and they just started working right away. Now, obviously McCord's got to wait a little bit longer to see his payoff, but that's the freak stuff is interesting. The fact that he was on the freaks list and that, yeah, he's a son of a hall of famer, but he's also four inches taller and 20 pounds heavier with the same level of athleticism, but it's the, he every time I've been in the Woody for like other stuff, I've seen Marvin Harrison the same way that we talk about JT Tui Maloa always hanging around when yep. Larry Johnson is hanging with the, the NFL guys. I don't know how many people are in the building as much as Marvin Harrison on the field doing stuff and working on stuff. So it's not shocking to anybody in the building that this is kind of popping for him right now. His, his exact well, I think he is sick of the dad stuff too, even if he's used to it, because yeah. even the way he answered the freaks question, it was like. I'm I, it's an honor, but like because mostly because people just think what I do is just genet- genetics. But like I actually put a lot of work into this type of stuff. He also brought up his mom, Don Harrison. Yes. And was talking about like work ethic and how much he got from her. 
he mentioned that she wakes up at four 30 in the morning for work. And then someone said like, Oh, what does your mom do? And he said like, she, she works at a gym. She's, she's a trainer. Sounds like at a gym. And then he, he said, and she's also a doctor. And it was like, Holy, my, what, what kind of accomplished, like it's, you know, he's like, I get this from my parents. Right. So like, I, you know, something they're doing something right. Right. In, in, in the raising of Marvin Harrison yeah. jr. Because he is a, and, and it was a big deal. Um, I don't know. I guess our guy, Dave Biddle at Bucknuts, I don't know if he was working behind the scenes on this, but uh, there was some whole explanation of Marvin Harrison Jr. had been listed at 6'3". And That's there so was cool. there was something of where he's actually like six. He's basically six, three and a half. And that Ohio State was originally some, interpreting something as like four tenths, but it was actually four eighths and four eighths is a half and they round up. So he didn't grow, but they readjusted how they interpret the measurement. But in the bio on OhioStateBuckeyes.com, he went from 6'3 to 6'4. And Dave Biddle was like, Marvin, I told you I was going to make this happen. And it, I didn't know it was like a Dave Biddle project from the spring. And it, it happened. So congratulations to Dave. You have a project, you do it. He's big. He's tall. He's physical. He wouldn't go for the – he didn't know that 17 touchdowns is the record. Steven, you don't know. When I asked Marvin about – the touchdowns. I said, do you know what the touchdown record is? He said, no, I said it's 17. He's like, well, that's a lot of touchdowns. He's like, I wonder who had that. So it's Terry Glenn. He said, okay. And then you were, we were standing on opposite sides of Marvin's table and you had been asking yeah. Marvin a bunch of questions. So Marvin had been interacting with you yep. and I had whole, it was in my mouth ready to come out. And then you walked away for a second to do something real quick. But I yeah. would say it to Marvin by saying, Marvin, that guy thinks you're going to break the 17 touchdown record. What do you think of that? And right was I was going to say that guy, you weren't there anymore. And I was like, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll wait. But I, I wanted to see how he would have reacted to that because it is fun, which goes back to why we're so excited about Jackson. It's fun. Yeah. It's not bragging. You're great. Who knows? Stats are fun. It's not the, the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is a national championship. And, and Jackson Smith and Jigba also said we've got to win a national championship. That's the standard. But it's fun to talk about this stuff. Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to be a fun football player. Steven, I think it is very possible that Marvin Harrison Jr. will be one of the most popular players on this team. And that a year from now, if we do a survey a year from now going into 2023, who's your favorite Buckeye? You know, Trayvon Henderson's going to be here and JT Tumaloa and Jack Sawyer are going to be here and Denzel Burke is going to be here. I think Marvin Harrison Jr. might get a lot of votes in that because he's, as you were asking about, and I know you talked to Heartline about it, the idea of he's just a little different type of receiver than a lot yeah. of guys in this room. And he is just, he's a very likable person who busses, busses butt has the genetics, has the work ethic, has a different kind of skill set. And I think, Stephen, it's just going to be like really fun for Ohio State fans to get attached to. Yeah, it, I told, I prefaced one of my questions to Heartline where I said, it's clear that you have a type. And then he went, oh, well, what's my type? And so then yeah. it became like a oh, thing. Oh, smart guy. <laughs> oh, what's my type? And yeah. then you started listing off like nine attributes. Yeah. Yeah. And he was like, oh, yeah, that sounds about right. I could have added some more, but they wouldn't have been for camera. They would have just been for me and him. Um, but it's he scored. He, he if he does what I think he's going to do, at least the thing I'm driving the bus for, he scores touchdowns. And there's something about those wide receivers who like score touch. That's what made Chris Olave so special. It's the touchdowns. He was scoring like 
every other catch, basically. It's what made Devin Smith what he was. He was scoring touchdowns on these deep balls. And as it's cool what Garrett was doing. It's cool what Jackson was doing. But it's different when it's a dude who's, like, scoring and getting cut touchdown catches, especially now that we're in these passing offenses where, like, 40-plus touchdown passes is, like, bare minimum. But then also he's the son of a Hall of Famer who dresses pretty cool. He was talking – I, I assume – do we assume the Kobe thing is a Philly thing? A little bit, at least, or is everybody uh, just love Kobe? It was also his birthday I mean, yesterday. Yeah, it was Kobe day yesterday. Oh, it was Kobe day. Kobe would have been 44, right? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, So, you know, again, if, if you're on the Marvin Harrison Jr. bus, no reason to get off. If you're not on, Stephen has room. He's taking reservations. Yeah, hurry up, because we leave the stations pretty quick Quick over here. But Stephen Means is here to – here to make some money. If if the first That's bus true. fulls up, Stephen will run another bus. So For like sure. he'll get another driver. So I I think there will be room. It's it's a it's a it's a fun group to think about, and we have other guys to talk about. We'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 614-350-3315. That's if you want to be a tech subscriber. And we also would love to have you reading our stories at cleveland.com slash OSU. Um, I, I think maybe if you get out of the habit in the summer and now the season's here, maybe you're a podcast listener, but you don't go to our site that much. You know, there's a lot of places that write about Ohio State football, but we do it as well as anybody and better than anybody in in some areas. And I would invite you to go to Cleveland.com slash OSU if you haven't been there lately. Um, there's, you know, usually a, a group of interesting stories in the morning. And then certainly as as things happen during the day, stuff trickles out. But we have, you know, longer stories. We have shorter stories. We have predictions. We have videos that we do. So we would invite you. I, I get caught in this too. There are places where I listen to podcasts, but I don't, I don't go to their website that much. Um, if you listen to this podcast, you'd like Ohio State football. So you like listening to it, but I think sometimes, you know, if you have five minutes, you might like reading about it. So it's cleveland.com slash OSU if you want to go check out what we're writing about. Who's going to play? So we talked about the big two guys off the top. Nathan, this conversation, Brian Hartline said he has six guys. I don't know exactly. I can't remember exactly the wording that he used, but he's like, I have six guys. And then nobody immediately followed up on, well, who are the six guys? And I was shouting, who are the six guys? And they didn't hear me. And then Jeremy Birmingham finally jumped in and said, Brian, who are the six guys? And I, I just wanted to give Berm a big hug. So the six guys are no surprise. But when a guy says I have six guys, you have to find out who they are. Jackson Smith and Jigba, Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Egbuka, Julian Fleming, Jaden Ballard, and former walk-on Xavier Johnson. There was some discussion this week about, is Xavier Johnson on scholarship or not? I don't know. Whatever it is, it's former walk-on. Cam Babb, Brian Hartline said, is not in that group because he's hurt right now. He said if he was healthy, he would be in that group. It's not a surprise. It basically skims off the true freshman, right? And it's kind of everybody else. So, again, it's not a shock, but we got to find out what this means. So, Nathan. We don't take that to mean a six receiver equal rotation is coming, 
But when Brian Hartline says, I've got six guys, and the other thing he said, and again, I guess we know why coaches say it, it's not really true, is anybody can play everywhere. Anybody can play all three spots. And I wanted to say, so how many slot snaps is Marvin Harrison Jr. going to get? Let's not act like guys don't have positions here. What? How do we interpret this, Nathan? Six guys he trusts. What do we think it means for who's going to play? I think the one change that it probably makes, because we already thought there was a some chance that the Fleming Agbuka thing could be a little fluid, that those guys might be sharing a spot or that Agbuka was going to back up everybody enough that he was going to get some chunk. I, I, so based on our conversation, I actually then went and broke down what I thought the snaps might be. And I think probably the biggest change from where I would have been like a week or two ago was probably pulling a few more off of Marvin Harrison Jr. and putting a few more on Emeka Ibuka. But that's how I would still rank them one through four. I mean, Jackson Smith and Jigba rarely leave the field. Then Marvin Harrison Jr. getting a little bit more than either Fleming or Ibuka, who are a little bit closer together. And then maybe just a couple in a week like Notre Dame, a couple maybe thrown to Jaden Ballard. I went back and looked at last year's usage. I was looking at the uh, the... 11 Warriors count. Our, a PFF subscription ran out. My credit card got compromised and we had to get a new credit card and I didn't put the new credit card number in yet. So we don't have the PFF numbers right now. So you we have, have the, those websites, man. We have the Dan Hope numbers. Yeah, it's because I'm so famous. I'm, I'm really, be, really a target. A target. Does it have something to do with your OnlyFans account? <laughs> I don't know. Because again, I'm not purchasing OnlyFans. I'm only offering it to other people. Gotcha. So I don't know if that would have done that or not. So, uh, but yeah, I was looking at our buddies, 11 warriors who who've tracked that for a long time and they may have a relationship now with pro football focus, they do. Remember, but, but, um, the PFF numbers are the 11 warrior numbers. Yeah. As of are last you, season, are you yeah. blowing this story wide open, Steven? Wow. Like, I mean, they say it. Yeah. 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 They say it. Yeah. They say it like on the post. Oh, regardless. Should, okay. Regardless. I'm not exposing uh, the 11 warriors here at all. Regardless, there were two things that jumped out at me. Number one. Oh, then why do we have to pay for it? You can get 11 Warriors for free. Why do we have to pay for PFF? Because we're always, well, also getting there their grades and counts. stuff. Yeah. Um, oh. Okay. But there's There were two <laughs> things that jumped out at me. Number one, and I probably would have lost this bet. There were zero games last year where either Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson played every snap of the game, including Oregon, including Michigan. Including, right. like Everybody always takes off at least like one snap as a receiver. So that kind of factored into how I did that. But then also um, there were a lot of games where – not a lot, but more games than I might have thought also were like Ibuka or Marvin Harrison Jr. or Fleming were getting like one or three or five or six snaps. So people can see how I, how I ranked it out. But it, it was basically that, that, that it, it kind of that descending order of those four guys where Jackson Smith and Jigba is the mainstay. Marvin Harrison Jr., just because of what he is physically, I thought, gets an edge to be on the field more because he physically separates from Fleming and Ibuka, even though those guys are obviously, I think Steven used the word put together well. And then those two guys, everything we've heard in the offseason and everything we've heard in the preseason, as much as Julian Fleming has checked like every box and looks like he's coming in not just healthier and not just with more opportunity, but like thinking and acting and maybe playing like 
a better receiver than he ever has before. As much as all those things are true, you can't ignore what we've also seen and what I think more importantly, what Ohio State is seeing from Emeka Ibuka. I mean, I think the thing that matters, especially when we think about specifically the Rose Bowl, is Emeka had really been in the slot a lot and had not been outside all that much. Mm-hmm. Then he kind of got moved outside for the Rose Bowl. And that was a little bit new to him. And now he's had a whole offseason of being on the outside, you know, probably mostly at Z, but yeah, I think he probably can do some X, which would allow him to, you know, give Marvin Harrison Jr. breather. And again, a lot of this is if, if you run down the field 60 yards on a play and, you know, there's a deep ball that's just off your fingertips and then you come back and here comes the offense, that's, that would be some of the times I think when like Chris Olave would take a break for a play, right? That stuff like that or your shoelace breaks. Up real you know, quick, yeah. That, that, that would be, so it's not, I don't know that we ever saw, hey, Olave and Wilson just like didn't start this series against this good team in an important game. Maybe that happened, but it would be, you know, it's just like, hey, three or five times during the course of the game, we're going to give a guy a quick little break. Um, so I, so I, I, the snap counts matter. I did think that it just, I don't know, it felt like, Stephen, a good interview session for Emeka Buka because Brian Hartline was saying some good stuff about Emeka Buka that like, it just feels like make sure you don't th- I th- make sure you don't think of Emeka Buka as like the fourth receiver mm-hmm. that he's really in the first group that if Jackson Smith and Jigba is one, then it feels like they have three guys for two spots that that's where I, I don't know if I changed or confirmed, but that's I that's where I left the interview, Stephen, kind of thinking about those next three guys. Yeah, I don't know if I wasn't already there. I just now look at it differently yeah. than because even the way you preference the question, it was kind of like a Julian Fleming and Mecca Buka thing when it's not a Julian Fleming and Mecca Buka thing. It's just of the people. Brian Hartline says that every time we talk to him, everybody's learning everywhere. And Jaden Ballard actually said he's learning some X now. But the one person on the in that room where if you wanted to tell me he's learning every position, I'd actually believe it. It's a Mecca Buka. So he could be anywhere. It's not necessarily he's everybody's backup. It's just like. If Marvin Harrison isn't in the game and it's a Mecca of Julian and Jackson out there, Mecca's probably your ex. While if it's Marvin Harrison, Julian, uh, a Mecca, Buka and Jackson, Jigba, he's probably your Z. And if Jackson needs a breather, a Mecca's in the slot. So we're talking about OnlyFans. I've been looking at this. Do you guys know who Pooch is? Do you guys know who Pooch is? He's a sports writer for SB Nation. I'm not looking at OnlyFans, but I'm looking on Cameo. Pooch. Have you guys heard of Pooch? Is he like a is he like a Gen Z sports writer that I should know who he is? He's wearing a plaid coat. Stephen, do you know no who Pooch is? You I don't, have no idea who that Nathan, is. Nathan, do you know who Pooch is? Nope. It's ten dollars for him to do a cameo. Rick Riley, who he was famous twenty years ago and then like got full of himself and fell off a sports writing cliff, he's seventy five dollars on cameo. Let's see, Chris Haynes, Chris Haynes. Chris Haynes, who was at Cleveland.com and was just one of us. was just like a regular guy and is now like the 11th most famous man in America. Chris Haynes is amazing. His career. Are you saying that we should have a cameo account? Is that no, I'm, saying I, I'm saying I should have a cameo account. Oh, Chris, okay. this is, this I'm not, you guys do what you want. $80, $80 for Chris Haynes. Uh, this guy's like a regular sports writer. Some guy in Boston, $40 for that guy. What if I set it at $2, $2 for the cameo and I'll say whatever you want. And then, you know, if it's more than $2, maybe we, we verge into OnlyFans territory there. Nathan, is it worth it? I need a little extra income. 
What do you think? Do you think Cleveland.com will go for that? Nathan has no I answer. Think Steven, I think it's worth no, a shot. Okay. No, I, I'm just $2. I'll say anything you want me to say for $2. Um, yeah, I, I was kind of distracted there. I just trying to see what the market is. If Chris Haynes is $80, could I be two? I think that's possible. Man, $80. Chris Haynes is so famous. He busted his butt, man. He was in, you guys know Chris Haynes. He's at, uh, he's on the TNT sideline. He works for Yahoo Sports. He's a gigantic NBA newsbreaker. Uh, he came to Cleveland.com. He had been, I think he'd worked in Portland for a while. And I think he briefly had worked, uh, covered the Warriors just very briefly and then came here uh, when LeBron came back to Cleveland. And we just had an awesome, awesome um, coverage team. We had Joe Varden and Chris Haynes and Chris Fedor covering the Cavs when the Browns, or excuse me, when LeBron came back. And then, uh, and then Chris went to, ESPN, right? And then now he's at Yahoo and he just is. It's like, what a success story. So if Cleveland.com could be a little a little part of that, but I'll, maybe I could call him. I tried after he left. I was like, hey, do you want to come on uh, my other podcast? And I never I never heard back because he's so <laughs> famous now. I wouldn't get back to me either. Okay. I think we're getting a handle on this. So I know, Nathan, you were interested in Mecca Ekbuka. We didn't get a ton of time with a Mecca Ekbuka. During the interviews, right, we got like four times as much with a long snapper, just kind of the way the tables went. Brian Hartline said good things about Emeka Buka. Did you get what kind of vibe did you get from him about what he thinks he's ready to do? Yeah, just what I think you would expect from a second year guy who had a little taste of it that first year. I know he didn't do in the Rose Bowl, obviously, what Marvin Harrison Jr. did. And he's not a third-year guy like Julian Fleming where it seems like his time. But, I mean, he also, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, like getting on the field and doing things with the ball in your hand, I think, is something that you can build on. And he also did have some moments where he was involved in some big catches in the Rose Bowl. Um, just there, there's, there's, there was something for him to, like, springboard off of. And it wasn't just, like, kind of knocking the rust off or the, the, the jitters out last year. He, he became a productive player on this team, and I think everything we've heard is that that has just really grown into what he can be this year. And that it sometimes it is easy to forget because you're fixated on what Jackson Smith and Jigba has already done. Like it, it, in in any other program, and really at any other time in Ohio State history, Emeka Ibuka is probably supposed to be a primary weapon in this offense this year. I mean, he was the number one receiver in the country two years ago. This is almost supposed to be his moment. It's just that we're in a, a unique part of the Ohio State football timeline where there's just a bunch of those guys in that room. So keep your eye on Emeka Ibuka. And then there's Julian Fleming. And the story that Ryan Day told the other day about Julian Fleming's shoulder popping out in a scrimmage, pops it back in, comes back in, catches two touchdowns. Nathan, you that is confirmed by the guy whose shoulder it was. Confirmed by him. I think also Marvin Harrison was asked about that. So multiple confirmations. And, you know, Ryan Day brought this up as, and even in the moment, I guess I didn't hear, and I know he'd had shoulder issues, but I didn't think of it as like, well, this is a big concern because they said it was just a scrimmage. So he didn't have to play, but he popped it back in, went back in the game and played. So I kind of almost my brain almost went a little bit past how serious it could have been, but our texters didn't. I, we got several texts as soon as I sent that out from the thing Monday night. We were like, hey, hold on a second. Like, what's wrong with his shoulder again? Because he's had, like, he had to have shoulder surgery at one point. So it came up. I, I was hoping that nobody else was going to ask him about it in the open mic part because I could grab him off the side, but 
somebody did. And, you know, it, it, it definitely had a little bit more of a not quite as heroic of a vibe about it. Uh, not, I mean, it, it did and it didn't. I mean, on one hand, it was sort of an important moment, I think, for him in a way to like, he got hurt, but the shoulder popped out. He popped it back in, went back in the game and was productive. And I don't think that's something he wants to have to do every week. But for a guy who has been held back physically, partially these first two years to like push through a physical problem is maybe an important barrier for him. Not so important that it needed to happen. I don't think it like it needed to happen. Going back to our conversation the other day about like the the BS silver linings that get spun out of things sometimes. It's not like, well, the best thing that ever happened to Julian Fleming was that his shoulder pops out three times a week. Like that's not what I'm saying. But just from a mental standpoint, I mean, a lot of the conversation about Julian Fleming from Julian Fleming, actually, there's a better way to say it, was about mental things that he felt like coming out of last year, he, you know, he has these expectations of what he was supposed to be doing or how much he was supposed to be playing, what he was supposed to be producing. And he felt, he says he felt, I don't know if someone told him that the work ethic wasn't there. Like he wasn't trying hard enough. He wasn't working hard enough. And then you saw what happened from that. He gets one of the iron Buckeye things um, and says that that has shown up in other areas for him too, like route running and, and just other aspects of being a receiver. So I came out of yesterday. We, we, I feel like we've talked so much about Julian Fleming as like an entity or like a representation of something like he's the uh, the super talented guy who hasn't flashed and you almost start to like lump him in with other guys at other positions in recent history who that has happened to and a lot of them maybe it doesn't ever work out but I came out of yesterday sort of reconnecting with Julian Fleming the person and being pretty impressed by him I think that shoulder is something we should keep an eye on every game because it also popped out in the Rose Bowl so I I'm starting to think that I doubt that that story Ryan Day told about his story, his shoulder popping out and he popped it back in. I won't be shocked if that's happened a couple more times over the last nine months. Nathan, when you said when you said it wasn't quite as heroic, did you mean like it wasn't as big of a deal as Ryan Day made it sound or that it was more like, yeah, it was kind of a pain. I just had to do what I had to do. Like, like, is it did Julian Fleming make it sound like it's kind of a not great and it might be a problem or no, like, ah, no, no, no big deal. Well, it happens all the time. I, I think because when you first hear the story, like say he hadn't told it about Julian Fleming, say he had told it about Emeka Egbuka or Jackson for the Jibga or Marvin Harrison Jr. And I'm, and, and, and I'm sure fans would have been like, Hey, hold on. His shoulders hurt, but it would have had more of like a, uh, Oh, it's just one of those things that happens in football. Sometimes maybe it hasn't ever happened before. And tough guy just popped it back in and went back and made plays. But because it's Julian Fleming, he's had, he specifically had, as Stephen and we both just said, like repeated shoulder things in the past. It, it sobers it a little bit because then you're reminded, like, this isn't just like a fluke thing that happened with him. It's a chronic thing that happens with him. And so I think maybe the better way to think about it is not only has it happened before, it probably hasn't happened for the last time. But again, it, if the, if that was ever a barrier for him before, and not that you should like play through significant injury, but if for him, if this is going to be sort of a chronic thing that he's going to have to do a few times a year, you know, you're playing against Iowa and Riley Moss bangs into you on a tackle and you got to whatever your shoulder back into place and keep going, like that, that's probably what his career is going to be. I don't know if it's every game, 
but it, he probably hasn't done it for the last time. And so to, to go in in a scrimmage situation against the probably first string defense or whatever and keep making plays, keep getting touchdowns is probably important for him. Steven, it, we're looking at four talented receivers here, right? Mm-hmm. And as far as we know, from there's nothing holding back Jackson Smith and Jigba, Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Buka other than opportunities to get on the field. And then Julian Fleming has this thing that has bothered him in his two years here, has held him back to some degree. And now here we are. And the story Ryan Day tells is it's not holding him back, but it is a thing that the other three guys aren't dealing with. Does that mean that it's, we should, it just naturally would just look at Julian Fleming a little bit, a little differently. Not, it's not his fault, but if you're trying to play the game of rank and order the production of these four receivers, would that lead us to put Julian Fleming fourth just because he has something extra to deal with? You have to play it safe, and that's the only way you do it because Knox one would because you don't want this to happen to a kid. It's second quarter. You know, Fleming runs an out route. Stroud hits him. He catches it, and he tries to get upfield to get a couple more yards. because He's a physical runner, so he's going to try to bang with you. And his shoulder gets popped out. And so now he's got to go back to the locker room or go in the tent and pop it back in and then put a brace on it, which he probably should just be wearing at all times, but maybe he's not. And so you put a Mecca in the game and then a Mecca starts doing stuff. Is Hartline supposed to take him off the field when he's hot because he's not technically the starter. And that's what I'm thinking. And how many times has that happened this season where it's a routine play. Julian's doing everything he's supposed to do, but he just gets hurt. And that happens. And when people get hurt, it creates an opportunity for somebody else. And if that guy starts doing superstar stuff, you can't just take him right back off the field just because Julian tapped you on the shoulder and said, hey, I'm ready to go. And I think that's an important point you make. And we've talked about it before. You've talked about a lot. That that's Julian's game. It's a physical, mm-hmm. it's a more physical style of play. You know, Chris Olave looks like he's on a parasail, man. He's just like yeah. gliding down the field. Emeka Buka and Garrett Wilson and Jackson Smith and Jigba, they look like they're shot out of a cannon sometimes, right? And they're mm-hmm. super explosive. They get the ball and they explode. Julian, not that he can't do those things, but Julian is more going to like fight for the ball and then fight through a tackle and go do his thing. So he's a physical receiver who has a physical thing to deal with. He's not just going to be able to avoid it by running past people all the time. So I think it's been in the back of our minds, right? This brings a little bit more to the front. Doesn't mean he can't have a great year. But, you know, when, for instance, and nobody except podcasters think of it this way, when you're trying to pick a bus, it's like, well, this bus is ready to roll and this bus has a patch tire. Doesn't mean the patch won't hold and you'll be fine. But just so you know, they had to patch the tire. So which bus are you getting on? So and maybe both, because there's a pretty good, good chance that both buses are going to get you to your just destination. But I, th- I think, Nathan, I think it's important the way you sort of talk about it, that you can it can sound like a wow story. And it is. I wouldn't do that. I don't think most of the people listening would pop their shoulder back in and go back in a scrimmage against the ones and score two touchdowns. But it's also a reminder of this guy has a real thing that that he's just going to have to find a way to fight through that because it feels like he's not magically healed 100% from this physical situation that has been bothering him since high school. There's a guy who writes about baseball injury stuff named Will Carroll. And it was the first person I ever heard use this phrase that health is a skill, like just the same way that like speed and strength and mental 
aptitude and all those things are skills. Like health is a skill too. And sometimes you're born with it or not. And Julian Fleming is born with a lot of physical benefits, obviously, but health doesn't seem to be one of them. Cam Bab doesn't have necessarily the good skill of health, obviously. So he's going to have to find a way through that to still be productive. And I think he's kind of figuring that out. And now it's the health did hold him back at times in the past, but probably not as much as just being blocked. And now that that is completely out of the way. And now he's going to actually have the opportunity to, because even before he couldn't, he couldn't play hurt. He just couldn't play because there was, they weren't taking Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson off the field very much. Now he could actually play a little banged up and still be productive for this team. All right. Last quick break. When we come back, one more receiver that it seems like to his credit is worth talking about. And we'll do that next time. Buckeye talk. All right, let's do a little sprinkle of special teams. Nathan, you were at Parker Fleming briefly. Is there anything that we need to know other than uh, what do you do here? Well, he he probably actually does a lot right now because they've got three scholarship kickers in theory uh, when Jake Seibert's not masquerading as a cornerback. Larry Johnson has 17 defensive linemen, but oh, Parker Fleming, (laughs) he is really bogged down with this kicker situation. (laughs) <laughs> um, doing more rel- relative to other special teams coordinators, maybe. Uh, but uh, the, the Parker Lewis situation not resolved, but the, he's practicing and it wouldn't surprise me if he gets eligible, if he is someone that mixes in on kickoffs or something. I mean, he could still have a real role for this team. So that's just a minor thing to guess. Keep in the back of your mind. It probably maybe isn't like a d- determining factor for what this team does this season. But if you're wondering, like, if you if, if again if you're talking about the margins, if he's like five percent better than Noah Ruggles on kickoffs, then Ohio State will get him on the field. What is that? What does that mean? Uh, I don't even know what that means. Is he's he's five percent better at kicking a ball down the field, so somebody can wave their hand in the air. So well, the if offense, you get, you know, the no, if you get more touchbacks, whatever. It, this um, feels like this is like one of the, since Dathan likes to make baseball comparisons. This is like one of those baseball trades where in the moment it's like ooh interesting, and then as things evolve, it's like oh no, that didn't matter at all. Because this trade was Ohio State traded Bryson Shaw to USC for Parker Lewis. And I don't think it's going to matter at all for anybody, which is fine. Good luck to everybody involved. But boy, oh boy, we do not need a lot of podcast conversation about it. So, okay. But I mean, but but it's been we've all Parker Lewis's eligibility has been asked about nine times. I mean, like it's because every time Uh, we have an interview session, is he eligible? Is he eligible yet? Is he eligible yet? Nope. Nope. I don't know what it is with USC because this is Neotote yeah, that yeah. happened last year. What's going yeah. on? I, I don't know if it is a private school to public school issue. I don't know if it's just a California to Ohio they're also, thing. They're also getting here kind of late. Like both of them were later additions from the transfer portal. It's not like they showed up in February. So that might be part of it. I don't know. Yeah, that was, I think that was an issue. With Neatote, though, it wasn't that he was late. It was that he went in the portal before they changed the rules. I, there was something complicated about it. Uh, anyway, we talked too much about it today, and I should have probably even brought it up. Um, he was asked, you know, Cam Martinez. But I just want to mention real quickly, by the way, there's actually another thing happening in college football right now. I almost feel like we should write about this. Brew McCoy was like a kind of a big time recruit who was at USC and has transferred to Tennessee. And it's like a thing in college football right now that he's at Tennessee and he can't get eligible. And it's because he's coming from USC and Tennessee's kind of peeved about it. 
And I don't know. I almost feel like we should call the Tennessee writers and be like, do you understand that like Ohio State's had two issues the last two years with people transferring from USC and they so can't get USC it figured out? Then. Like, what is it like? What's the deal with USC? Are we sure we want them in the Big Ten? Hey, USC, get your compliance department in order. These guys are sitting around twiddling their thumbs. These are young men's careers. What are you doing? Sign the paperwork. I'm like, I'm like only like 20% joking. If we have like an example, we have three players yeah. now that yeah. from USC, they can't get eligible. It's a, it's a hassle. Do you hear this anywhere else in college football? Oh man, that's cool. When you transfer from, you know, Michigan state, man, you can't get on the field where you go next. What is up? Well, USC. Hmm. I didn't read the reporting, but I, I saw the reporting. This is like such a, this is like such a 2022 way of consuming news. It looked like USC was saying in that Tennessee example that they're not holding it up. It's not like they're protesting the transfer. If you think about it from like a high school transfer standpoint, I know yeah. it was this way in Indiana where like the original school has to sign off on them going to the new school yeah. and say, well, they're not protesting Parker Lewis either. Right, right, yeah. right. So, or EA. so it's, so it's, it's asking. Yeah. I think the question is, Will these schools go on the record about what is lacking academically at USC that they're having trouble getting accepted at either Ohio State or Tennessee? Yeah, the logistics part of this is the transcript part of this. This is a university thing and not necessarily a sports thing. But get it figured out. That was more Parker Lewis conversation than I expected, but it was, that was more inter- that was more interesting than the actual Parker Lewis conversation. So he might so this, kick off. What? So yeah, okay. This is also maybe this is the long con for USC. They're setting this precedent that you can't get your players eligible, so that yeah. when they do join the Big Ten, so when they join the Big Ten, other Big Ten schools don't try to take any of their players because they yeah. can't get them eligible. I think hmm, maybe it's maybe they're stupid like a fox here. Or is it, you know how it is sometimes where you think there's a conspiracy and then it's like if you had like the camera, right, that starts off with the whole earth and then it zooms in and zooms in and zooms in and then it zooms in on just this one guy in the USC compliance office who's playing video games at work <laughs> and is not just, doing his job. It's just awful <laughs> at what he does. And there's no conspiracy. This guy just constantly loses paperwork and <laughs> And is taking long lunches and it's like, what's the deal? But his his aunt is like the HR director, so he can't lose his job. And it's like, oh no, it's it's just that. Justin, did you work today? Huh? What? Oh, ooh, ooh, shoot. Okay. Yeah. Um, that, oh my. Send that through, send that through, send that through. Yeah. Five minutes left in the work day, and he's signing off all these papers. Justin, Justin, quit playing Fortnite. Parker Lewis wants to kick off against Notre Dame. Okay. Anything else special teams? A couple of minutes ago, I started to say the name Cam Martinez. That came up with Parker Fleming about him potentially being the punt returner. He says that Cam Martinez has been very upfront saying he he wants that role, wants to be involved, getting the ball in his hands. It's obviously something he did back when he was a quarterback in high school. Um, Parker Fleming said that he's been getting like tweets and DMs from people. And he's like, I don't know if like Cam Martinez put them up to people. He's like somebody last week, like DM'd him. Yeah. Cam Martinez is like high school highlight reel. I know why <laughs> like, that happened. Like, <laughs> that's that's um, shout out to Berm. Berm did that. He made that happen. Uh, to that point, though, um, quick. Berm, Berm sicked the Cam Martinez universe on Parker. Berm and Cameron Martinez are like besties in like real life. 
So that's yeah, we're blaming Burn for that one. And in all seriousness, though, I, I was like listening back to Cameron Martinez's thing about when they were talking about him as a punt returner. And I think part of this might be Cam Martinez is pretty explosive back there. But as we've seen with like guys like Garrett Wilson, who can be explosive back there, but also not the most sure of hands at times, that might be part of this of like what you want. He was talking about how it, some of this is what you want. Jackson Smith, the Jigba is a very sure handed punt returner. He's going to just catch the ball. Regardless of what happens afterward, he's going to catch, secure the ball in the office and get on the field. While with Cam, there might be an opportunity for him to have a 40-yard punt return, but then there's also just as big of an opportunity that he might just drop the ball and all of a sudden the defense has to stay on the field. There also, I think, is a history, maybe everywhere, certainly I've seen it at Ohio State, of defensive players who were skill guys in high school wanting to be return guys at Ohio State, and they're always talked about in the preseason, and then they never use them. I would be curious. We could look back very easily in the stats. Who's the last defensive player at Ohio State to return a punt to actually return it? And and now I'm sitting here and probably was supposed to say, "What are you talking about, Doug?" There was a guy two years ago, but like I can just hear like Marshall Lattimore wanted to do it, you know? Like it's and the answer is like, "Well, we'll let you take some in practice, but we're not doing that." So you'll be an option. Um, so who do we think says? Do we think Cam Martinez is the punt returner on opening night? Oh no, God, think- no. No, definitely not. It's definitely just going to be Jackson back there, fair catching it. And it's or, like, just, or is a mech in the mix at punt, or is he just a kick returner? From what I saw, the people over the last nine months I've seen taking reps back there: Jackson, Cam Martinez, Julian Fleming, and Mecca Buka, and then freshman Caleb Brown. Okay. Uh, what else did Parker Fleming say? He, he's very well aware of the last time that they returned a touchdown in either of those scenarios and says that that's something that he kind of tries to use to motivate guys in that room. But obviously that can be as much a flute thing as it is like something to shoot for. But Emeka Buka was asked about, you know, uh, got that question about, Hey, you finally going to take one back this year. And he talked about like, not only how he wants to do it, but he thinks that the, the whole kickoff return unit is better this year. The guys that they've put on that. So, okay. We'll see. So let's talk about Jaden Ballard both from a special teams and a receiver standpoint. He is, when, when Brian Hartley says six guys, one of them is a former walk-on, great. But Jaden Ballard's the fifth guy in there. And the thing that Brian Hartline said was, he said Jaden Ballard is at a, the point now that he expected Jaden Ballard to be at at the end of this season. And so a year ago, when you think about Marvin Harrison Jr. and Mekhek Buka and Jaden Ballard in the same receiving class, Jaden Ballard was always just like a little bit of a step below. That last year was really like a learning year for him where, you know, like a Mecca had a little bit of a role. And then Marvin, we saw what he did in the Rose Bowl. And it's just like he he's really just like a year behind those guys. Like in, and that is a zero negative. It's just where you played high school football. Like it's great and great for Ohio. Like like the best receiver in Ohio who might not be up to speed with a Mecca Buka should be at Ohio state. Like Jaden Ballard is a great person to have at Ohio state, but I think it is important that like he's accelerating here, Steven, like he's, I don't know if catching is up the right word or gaining ground, but you know, we're not expecting him to contribute the way those other two sophomores are going to, but maybe a little bit of a role, maybe, maybe something. And this matters for the future, but I think it's important that Brian Hartline feels like Jaden Ballard's in a really good spot right now. He's ahead of schedule, which is, I mean, it's always good to be ahead of schedule because everybody likes that guy, but more, it's more interesting this year when the room skill set is a little different than what we've seen the last couple of years where, 
you know, Hartline even said it. There's not a lot of four, three guys like there was with Garrett and Chris, or even like Terry McLaurin, Johnny Dixon and Paris Campbell, when those guys went to the combine, but these guys are physical, they're bigger bodies. Um, they're matchup problems for the most part, even if they're not four, there might be four, 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 five guys, but they're all matchup problems because of their size and athleticism. Well, Jaden Ballard's more of the four, three guy. He's super fast. He's never ran a 40. He's never done a lot of football things. That's because he grew up playing basketball. And so he is like still kind of new to football. He was just like a, a basketball player in pads, which is what Clemson has, you know, coined over the last decade with wide receivers. But if you don't have a deep ball threat, and you feel comfortable with Jaden Ballard as this season goes on, maybe as Nathan said in his post, it's like one or two snaps. There's his snaps. If you need that, because you still need that element of a guy who can take the top off the defense. Yeah, you could you could see you could see how he could help them once or twice this season. You know, which would be more than I maybe would have expected for Jaden Ballard in year two. But he is going to help him, Nathan, it seems like on special teams, right? Because he has that that speed comes in handy when you're the first guy running down covering a punt. Yeah. And he he sounds like he likes that role. It it he has this through line back to like Devin Smith and some Brian Hartline stuff of of guys who have have, have done that sort of thing before. And I, I think he uh, has seen the impact that you can have there. You can see the springboard that that can be to the offensive role that you want later. And uh, uh, Fleming sounds enthusiastic about what he can do in that role too. And that it's more than just the, the sheer speed that he has some of those other intangibles that they want from, from the guy that they, that's going to be coming off the edge there. I tried to ask Ballard about Devin Smith and he said, I mean, I know him, but like, we're not really besties or anything like that. Yeah. As a matter of fact, any question anybody tried to ask Jaden Ballard, he just kind of dismissed it. He doesn't like doing interviews. He's not comfortable. He's a pretty shy kid. He doesn't like this stuff. But, low key. Yeah. Fast and low key, just like me. Uh, okay. Hmm. That is our last interview session of the preseason. Thanks to Jerry Emig and Mike Bassford from the Ohio State Sports Information Department. We worked through, that's how I, again, I, you guys just want the information, but that's how we do it from the start of preseason practice. It, it works that way in, March and April. That's how we do it in spring football. Then we do it again in August where you have a position group and you have the position coach and then three, four, five, six, seven players from that position group. And then you talk about them. And then that's why we write about them in a certain order. That's why we talk about them in a certain order. We got the secondary guys and the receivers this week. And that's what we talked about on Buckeye talk. So now we don't have any more interviews until Tuesday when it's game week. So Ohio State, Notre Dame, Ryan Day, probably Jim Knowles, maybe probably C.J. Stroud, maybe a player or two on Tuesday. That's Tuesday afternoon. That's text will be flying Tuesday afternoon. And then Wednesday evening, more players after practice. And we are going to adjust uh, our season in-season pod schedule. That's what we always do. So I think that the plan for most weeks in the season will be a Monday morning pod, a Tuesday afternoon pod after those Tuesday interviews, Tuesday afternoon, Tuesday evening, then a Thursday morning pod, a Friday morning pod, that's the game preview, and then a post-game pod on Saturday. Those will be our five pods during the week. But next week, we think we'll also bring you a bonus pod uh, in that Tuesday morning window. So you guys know how this works. Off-season is different than in-season. The goal, and we, I mean, we execute it 99.9% of the time, is at least five pods a week. So that's not changing, but since we have a pot on Saturday, there'll be one of those days in the middle of the week where we're not giving you a, a full pot. We hope you stick with us. 
We hope that if you have been with us and are going to stick, maybe you tell a friend who likes Ohio State but doesn't listen to Buckeye Talk. The podcast continues to grow. We're so grateful to you guys for making that happen. And again, we'd love to have you at cleveland.com slash OSU, where we have that written coverage every single day of the week. We will be back on Friday with a sort of look at the 12-game season. What are the chances of Ohio State going undefeated? What are their toughest games? Like my sort of made-up math that I've been doing all offseason. What do we think of that? That's the Friday pod. And then the Monday pod, Mark It Down Monday, will be what are our playoff picks? So we're here. The season's around the corner. And uh, we know you guys are excited, and we are too. For Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>